and welcome to the Psych and Business Podcast, where we highlight the integration of psychology and psychological principles into the world of business and organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Ernest Wade. I'm very happy to introduce you to my guest today. She's a clinical psychologist with a background in business management and leadership. Her name is Dr. Jean DiVincenzo. Dr. DiVincenzo has a proven record of over 30 years of success with extensive experiences in business, psychology, leadership development, and consulting work. She has expertise in coaching C-suite executives and providing trainings and workshops on a variety of topics, including creativity, mindfulness, teams, and leadership development. She's currently a principal for Vector Group Consulting, a consulting firm providing coaching and organizational development for academic medical centers, nonprofits, and other institutions. She also has a small private practice. Jean is known for a warmth, collaborative, and and engaged style in her coaching and consulting work that motivates others to obtain self-awareness, positive change, and warmth. Jean, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. Appreciate you having me. I'm so excited to have you, Jean, because I know you're going to talk about some really interesting things. But before we get into that, I always want to start the show by asking, how did you get into the work that you're doing now, especially as a psychologist? Tell us about your journey. Sure, certainly. Um, So my journey kind of had some zigzags in it. Um, My undergrad degree was in psychology, and um, I was going to go on and get my doctorate, my PhD in psychology right after undergrad. Um, Mm -hmm. But I ended up working for a firm... Um, a business-to-business manufacturing firm. One thing led to another, um, and I didn't go back. I I kept going, and I got interested in advertising and PR and marketing. So I followed that path um, and worked for an advertising marketing communications firm. And I went back and took courses and, you know, got a certificate in advertising and PR, Mm-hmm. But I loved that. Um, there was a lot of energy around that. So I stayed with that firm and eventually became an executive VP. Um, so, but while I was there, I was always kind of feeling the pull of psychology. And mm-hmm. in that um, firm, I did a lot of work with C-suite executives, like strategic planning, marketing. You know, we interacted with them on a regular basis. And right. um in the PR part, we I realized they they didn't know how to present themselves to the public. So we would go to trade shows or they would do press conferences and they really needed some help on how they were going to appear, how they were going to interact with other people. So I didn't realize it at the time, but I started doing coaching then. You know, I, <laughs> I had a, a client who was a VP level and he went to a trade show. This was all in B2B electronics manufacturing. And they had, mm-hmm. you know, this amazing trade show booth to get um, this is where you made your connections, right? The press would come and you'd get yeah. high level people. But he'd sit in the middle of the trade show booth on the phone the whole time. And, <laughs> and you know, so we started to realize, I started to realize these folks, it doesn't come naturally. Mm-hmm. A lot of them started in manufacturing. So anyway, did that. Um, and then I got to a point where I was the heir apparent and could buy out the firm, um, thinking mm-hmm. about that, but always still like, oh, psychology, but maybe I should be helping people in a different way. Well, Ernst, I got really sick. I fell ill with, um, it's a long story, I'm not going to go into that, but basically on vacation, I ingested a parasite that 
started to eat my brain. That's harsh. So anyway, I was out of work for a while. Um, and during that time, I started to really think, do I want to buy this firm and go in this direction? Or do I want to go back to psycho- psychology? Mm-hmm. So I decided to go back and then get my doctorate in clinical psychology. So, you know, here I had this level of expertise as, as an executive VP of a marketing firm and started back, you know, in clinical psychology. Mm-hmm. So did that, you know, took a lot of courses, loved it. Um, and then I did my internship and, you know, I had all this management and business and leadership experience, you know, in the form right, yeah. as a leader. So I managed people, I trained people. So um, when I did my internship at a psychiatric hospital inpatient, they actually wanted me to be a leader. Even while I was an intern, I got involved with trauma-informed care, putting together programs. Yeah. I, um, and I ended up being program director of a unit. So that gave me a lot of, um, a lot of perspective about interprofessional collaboration, which is such a big Mm -hmm. right now in our field. So did that. um, And I decided "Eh, this isn't what I want to be doing. So um, I, um, I became a professor and a faculty member in a doctoral program of clinical psychology. So now I'm teaching, I'm immersed in it, and I'm teaching things like personality, brain science, cognition, mm-hmm. and, and loving it, um, and still in leadership positions, because I started <laughs> up a, a, a consortium, a doctoral consortium for training, and it was sites from all over the place. So the leaders of those sites, part of my job was to help them be good leaders of the students. Um, did that loved it. Um, and then, um, I was doing like two, three jobs at once. You know, I was, um, an internship director. I was teaching, I was running programs. I started Mm -hmm. a community mental health clinic, you know, so again, all this business uh, and I decided, okay. So then I moved to becoming a managing director of a nonprofit behavioral health firm. And while I was doing that, um, and even before, I started doing some consulting work because I said, I, I've got to be able to leverage my business experience mm-hmm. with my psychology experience. So yeah. I had a colleague who had a successful consulting practice. I started coach coaching with him. I started taking workshops and I started doing coaching and consulting, got certified mm-hmm. in some assessment instruments. And then as a um, as a managing director for this firm, we did a lot of consultation. So I did internal and external consultation, going out into communities, academic institutions, helping them with leadership development, helping them with program development. So I started to really fall into this role of consulting and Mm -hmm. just said, this is what I want to do. I love consulting. So I went off on my own and um, had a small clinical practice that I kept. And then that colleague that I had done co-coaching with years before, he was working mm-hmm. for Vector Group. And he's like, do you want to be part of this great team? Do you want to not do all your consulting <laughs> by yourself? So that's how I ended up at Vector Group Consulting. So um, it's, it's interesting because it was a lot of zigs and zags, but it feels like everything really fit together. Like there was yeah succession of my prior experiences fitting my new experiences fitting my new experiences and 
I'm somebody who likes to push herself. And, yeah. you know, I often find myself in situations going, why did I say I would do that? Yeah. <laughs> no risk for the well, weary. A little yeah. imposter syndrome there, but I'm like, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> so anyway, it's been a, it's been a yeah. really fun journey. And uh, I love that story. I love the, the journey that you've described there. I love how you've taken every experience that you've gotten and continue built upon that. You know, I, I, I really appreciate what you're talking about, where if you have expertise in something and you're in a different setting and people find out, hey, you're, you've been a leader before, you know how to manage people, right. you somehow just get pulled exactly. into that, right? And, and I, I love how that yeah. that happens naturally. Right. right. It's, it was funny, you know, as an intern in psychology, I was like interviewing people for um, staffing, a, you know, a new unit that was going to be opening. You know, it was mm-hmm. just like, how did I end up here? But you're right. It was sort of... Yeah. Well, we know you can do it. Are you interested? Yeah. And- can you can you talk a little bit about how your leadership style and approach changed as you you know became more aware of some psychological principles and terms and how that influenced your leadership style? Um, sure. So you know I integrate a lot of psychological principles into what I do, but I learned a lot um, as I became a psychologist about. I learned more about how to motivate people. I learned more mm-hmm. about communication styles that are effective. I looked mm-hmm. back at my early leadership um, experience and saw, you know, mistakes that I made or things that I didn't do as effectively. And once I became a psychologist, I kind of knew like things like as simple as motivational interviewing, right? Right. That, that yeah. sort of helped yeah. me. Um, understanding cognition and individual Mm -hmm. differences, you know, understanding diversity and that not everybody has the same experience that Mm -hmm. really informed me um, as a leader Um, and even understanding dynamics and systems, you know, Mm. we psychology has such a focus on systems, the interplay, you know, the back and Mm -hmm. forth and you change one thing, you change things on a micro level, you change things on a macro level. So absolutely. So my style changed, I guess, to becoming more aware of those things and then moderating my own work the way I interacted with people a little bit differently, like being curious, mm-hmm. you know, in mm-hmm. a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I found that I did as an early leader what I see other leaders doing, which is kind of making assumptions that the same thing's going to work in lots of different situations. And, you know, yeah. knowing yeah. so much about individual differences has really helped me a lot. Yeah. So, you know, I do have a warmth collaborative style, but as a psychologist, and um, I was trained as a dynamic psychologist, you know, sort of interpersonal, um, Mm-hmm. I paid a lot of attention to that. So I also learned when to challenge and that um, the timing of a challenge is important and challenges can be important. And it's not yeah. just about addressing problematic work. It's addressing what could be problematic patterns and themes. Mm. So, you know, I think my timing's gotten better as a consultant mm-hmm. and you know, not just as an executive coach, but then when I do um, consulting in large systems, like um, yeah, you know, I, I want to talk a little bit about that because I think you have a very unique approach and, and perspective because you have that 
that systems approach from from the business angle, right? right? From the from the organizational approach, but you also have that systems approach from the psychological approach, right? right. Talk to us a little bit about some of the work that you do when you combine those two. Sure. So you know, it starts with the individual, right? So um, if I'm doing executive coaching or you know supervising people who are doing executive coaching, um, often um, an organization would like to think that the problem's inside the individual. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is. You know? mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But in doing systems work in an organization, I try to determine what's really going on. Is it environmental? Mm-hmm. Is it individual? And, um, you know, I do 360 assessments. I do Hogan assessments. So really try to get to the meat of what's going on. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know we can help the help the individual change, but if there's a huge systemic problem, then I've got to think about how do I address this within the organization? How do I go mm. to other leaders in the organization? How can I be honest and say, you know, um, there are things that are really hampering this individual's performance mm-hmm. or hampering their ability to make a difference with their team, and we got to talk about that. So yeah, so when, that's when the culture starts to influence the individual. So much, so much. So um, again, and you know, experience as a psychologist, really learning to understand the role of culture, and then um, the different systems, institutions I, I work with are all over the place. You know, some mm-hmm. some really get that and have some leaders that really understand the influence of culture. And some really mm-hmm. don't understand the influence of culture. So sometimes mm-hmm. it's kind of education and helping people understand. And sometimes it's simply pointing it out like, wow, this is going going on. Um, when I, one thing that also, uh, when I look at systems and I'm interviewing like somebody's boss, um, again, I'm right now talking about executive coaching, which often right. stands to, larger consultation work. I'm always asking, so what role does culture have um, with what's going on with this individual? Um, What role are there diversity issues involved of any kind? And um, so that really gives me clues about what's going on in the system too, the Mm -hmm. way that Mm -hmm. question is answered. So do you have any examples of how this has actually played out? I think one of the things is always interesting to see is how this actually plays out in, in, in reality. Um, you know, it's interesting. So I'm working with, um, a DEI, a VP uh, of DEI right now. And, um, Mm -hmm. well, I'm going to give you a different example. I'm going to stick with executive coaching where um, I was working with someone and, um, from a different culture. And, uh, when I asked that question, the person's leader said, well, you know, this person is from a different culture, but we don't really think that's relevant. And in fact, we express, you know, we expect everybody to act a particular way. So <laughs> this was a person who had just, this was a technology company who had just been mm-hmm. promoted from working individually. I mean, superstar in terms of technological skills, but now was leading mm-hmm. a team of 50 people. And wow diverse team. And um, this person's style was 
they were used to like, I'm going to work 24 seven. I'm going to get this done. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't anybody else do that? And there's a lot of culture to that where this, I I don't want to say exactly where, because I want to, Mm -hmm. I want to de-identify, but that was ingrained in this person, not just in his personality, that was how they were brought up. And there was a Mm -hmm. component to that. And they didn't get why their team was so stressed. You know, they um, really empathic person, but didn't understand um, why the team, why there were low engagement scores with the team. And they were looking at, my coachee was looking at um, hours spent that hours members of the team would spend on something. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know why they're stressed. They're they're really only working eight or nine hours a day. But meanwhile, it was like, go, 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 go. <laughs> yeah. So, I expect them to work more. Right, yeah. right. So, you know, high on empathy, but not so high on emotional intelligence and also didn't understand the culture of this workforce in the United States, this person mm-hmm. from the States. So mm-hmm. was able to help them work with the team and understand there are different ways to motivate them. There are different ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other thing um, about this person was um, they were, uh, they were seen when I did 360 interviews by peers and colleagues, all mm-hmm. executive level. This person was seen as kind of a jerk you know, mm. and dishonest. And as I started working with him, I was like, wow, I don't see that at all. Um, but what happened was his interpersonal style, his body language was one of like head down, get it done, multitask. I'm going to be on the phone in this meeting and would make promises he couldn't keep. And people felt like they were being really dismissed. So mm. didn't understand, you know, being present and engagement and body language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, we worked on those things. And, you know, I would say four or five months later, talked to his boss and was like, I am seeing amazing changes in this person and the way he's seen and the way he's respected and the way he interacts with other people. And the team was getting more engaged, too. And of course, I'm only yeah. going to talk to you about success stories, but that's one where the role of culture um, and the system and what was going on in the system. And by the way, he was getting squeezed, you know? Mm-hmm. So I like to mm-hmm. talk about that too. Like, are these deadlines realistic? Is there something, this guy's under a lot of pressure. So, yeah. you know, it was like working with um, the higher level of management, helping him think about how to relate to the team and then um, how to come across as the way he, like a real empathic good person, but the work mm-hmm. culture he was from didn't support that. So, yeah, that's a great example. I mean, that highlights so many things, including just the fact that, you know, you work with the, the person individually to, to help them with their internal system, but you also work with the organization and the culture. You know, I think a lot of times when we hear about someone who is technically excellent at their work and then they get promoted into management, it takes them a while to make that shift into their responsibility now is to manage other people, right? They still focused on getting the task done at the expense of the management of the other people. Right. And so that's a great example right. of making that switch. Right. There. right. Yeah. 
Now, I, I know, Jeannie, you also have an interest in um, psychopathy in the workplace, which I think is also really very interesting. So uh, I'm interested if you can talk to us a little bit about that, because I know there's been some research recently about how a lot of leaders display some traits that are associated with psychopathy. Yeah. And so I'm interested in your perspective on that. Sure, sure. So, you know, as a clinician and as a faculty member, um, I taught personality classes. I taught about personality disorders, and then I supervised students who um, worked clinically with individuals with Mm -hmm. personality disorders. So I sort of developed, um, you know, a strong clinical background in personality disorders and their clinical presentations. Mm -hmm. So that sort of leads me to now I'm doing executive coaching, and I see people that um, present with these traits that might be seen as personality disorders. You know, I can't mm-hmm. diagnose anybody who's not my patient, so but I know enough to say, well, there's mm-hmm. traits. And then I use yeah. the Hogan a lot, um, and the Hogan, you know, um, personality assessment. It looks at what they call the bright side, what's their personality, how do they show up, their drivers, their motives, and then what they call the dark side, and what does mm-hmm. the person exhibit under stress. So, you know, you can look at the Hogan, especially the dark side, and, and there are people who have written about tracking the Hogan to personality disorders. So mm-hmm. if somebody's um, really excitable or if somebody reacts a certain way, that might track to a certain personality disorder. So I think that's interesting, and I think that's useful, um, but we can never, as psychologists, rely on one point of data, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, so the Hogan might suggest that, and I've you know seen cl- clinicians or coaches who say like, oh, this person, you know, narcissist, this person, sociopath but they don't always show up that way. So the 360 instrument gives me a lot more data um, because Mm -hmm. it's how are they showing up? How do they interact with other people? Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at personality disorders in the workplace, I'm really looking at um, what are their interpersonal relationships like? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, again, there's a lot written, the sociopath in the workplace or, you know, narcissists, narcissistic that's a really big thing right now looking at that yeah um and folks with personality disorders and psycho psych um psychopathy yeah do a Mm -hmm. lot of damage Mm -hmm. and so there are people who are true sociopaths who can do a lot of damage who leave a lot of victims in their wake and um you know when that shows up in an organization it's really about do you see what's going on and how much damage mm-hmm. do you want to instill? So that's one way I work with folks is looking at, mm-hmm. you know, the trauma. So, so building that awareness, building that awareness. Of, of this. Yeah. But in the executive coaching work I'm doing, um, I'm really looking at some of the personality traits that might look narcissistic, that might look like mm-hmm. obsessive compulsive, real power control, um, that might even look at, um, you know, antisocial, but these folks are doing good work and yeah. they're getting themselves into trouble. Um, so, you know, do, do they show empathy for other people? Mm-hmm. Do they have any emotional intelligence? 
And, you know, depending on what I'm seeing, so somebody who sort of is more antisocial is never going to have empathy, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. Narcissistic traits might have some empathy. Um, somebody who is borderline personality disorder or histrionic, um, they might need attention or have attachment issues. So I really try to think about, okay, what's going on with this person? So for a lot of people, a lot of coaching and a lot that I've read about coaching people with personality disorders uh, in the workplace, the idea Mm -hmm. is teach them skills, teach them skills Mm. so they don't act out, teach them skills so they manage themselves. Yeah. And I like what you're saying there in terms of not having them function at the extremes, right? right. So not having them, it's, it's, we're, we're on a scale here. And so if you can teach them coping skills so that they're not functioning at the extreme of their narcissistic trait, that might help them function, actually be more more productive in the, in the workplace. Right. Am, I, am I hearing that right? You are hearing that right. But what I'm starting to look into and do research around and, you know, thinking about in my own work is there's mm-hmm. a middle step. So teaching the coaching skills is great but what motivates this person and Hmm. the hogan talks about motivations but i'm looking at it more from so if this person is narcissistic or has narcissistic Mm -hmm. traits they're going to be motivated by um you know wanting to um be seen as special wanting to be seen as exceptional wanting to be seen in a certain way and they might have mm-hmm. some empathy, but I would say, you know, what I sort of submit, um, what I'm looking at is even more than keeping their job, which is important, mm-hmm. there's another level of motivation, which is mm-hmm. I don't want to be disgraced. I don't want to feel mm-hmm. like people are better than me. I want to be the best at what I do. And I want people to understand mm-hmm. that. So if I can get to that motivation as to why I'm teaching the skills, you know, so so and so, if you act out and you you treat people this way, mm. or you um, you belittle people, you're not going to be seen as a good guy. You're not going to be seen as a capable leader. You're actually going to be seen in a very different way. Interesting. So if I so that's really tying the the motivation. motivation. The, the, or yeah, tying tying the behavior, the positive behavior, to the the motivation, which is really that self image, really right? right. So helping them preserve that self image right. by behaving in a positive way. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, somebody with a histrionic personality disorder. Again, it's about like all life is a stage. You know, I need mm-hmm. attention. I need attention. I I need to feel yeah. special. Um, and so again, it's sort of like, okay, um. Well, I think the attention that you want is more positive attention, right? You don't want negative attention. So if you sweep into a room and you take over the room as a leader and you're talking about me, 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 people are going to roll their eyes and they're not going to want to give you the attention. But if you show up as like this great leader who manages your tendencies, your impulses to blurt things out and talk about you, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you can learn how to ask questions, people are going to really want to be around you, you know, because that's mm-hmm. what motivates. So like yeah. the skills come, but I don't, from my work, I don't see people believing 
always that the skills are important. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, teach me to um, not blow up. But meanwhile, this person mm-hmm. over here is trying to take my job. I know they are. So, yeah. You know, it's like, well, okay. So let's look at how you can be successful. And then they'll mm-hmm. buy the skills. So that's mm-hmm. that's what I've seen in my work. And I haven't seen any of the research that focuses on that so much. I've seen like... Mm-hmm. I've seen some research that talks about, well, you work, you coach people with personality disorders the way you do therapy, which is like, yes, understanding them, but it's super long work and you've got to build trust. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. this really time intensive work. So if you're coaching that way, we don't have the luxury of that much time. That that time, yeah. We've got to really be effective. So while I do that in my clinical work, working with mm-hmm. people with personality disorders, in my coaching work, I bring my you know clinical dynamic training, but it's like, what's going to work with this person? What's going to get them? Right. Because it's good for them and good for the organization. And that's where yes. the organization hired. That's what, that's what, yeah, that's one of the key things, right? Is how do you, how do you, how do you optimize this so that you can be effective and, and really efficient in, in, a, in a short time frame so that it can help? the individual function more effectively and then the organization also to benefit from that effect. Right. Right. Yeah. Gene, I think this is such an interesting topic. I, you know, I wish we could, we could, we could probably talk about this for such a long time, but how how do people reach you? I know if people want to follow up with you and have additional conversations or pick your your brain about this, how do people reach you? Yeah, I'm going to give you my personal email because it's shorter and easier. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's dr, like doctor, drj Mm -hmm. as in Gene, S as in Susan, D as in DiVincenzo. So drjsd at comcast.net. And I would love to hear from people, you know, what their experiences are. If they're like, oh, you're all wet or wow, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. You know, I, because what I'm going to want to do if I write a book is use some case studies and clinical examples and dig in. So I've started doing the research, but boy, I'd love to hear from people in there. Yeah, I'd love to hear where where this goes as well. I think this is really fascinating. Uh, Gene, thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to be respectful of your time. I I do want to ask, though, I always ask everybody who comes on for a tip for for the audience. What tip would you give for our audience at being an expert? Um, So even though I talked a lot about systemic issues and they're important, I think it goes back to emotional intelligence. Like, you know, when we're looking at people and interacting with them, we've got to be able to gauge where are they in empathy and their ability to um, manage their own emotions and then understand what other people are feeling and managing their emotions. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I think in leadership, that is that separates the great leaders from the not so great leaders. And then it can Mm -hmm. so much inform the work. Right. So look to emotional intelligence. Um, let that be the North Star. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. I think that makes such such great sense. Myself, when I'm when I'm doing this work, I always start with the individual, helping them understand that there is such a thing as emotional intelligence, right. what that looks like. You know, help them to understand it and and manage their own, and then look out externally and appreciate that other people also, you know, experience their emotions differently and and, and it impacts right. them. And so, I, I completely agree with that that advice. I think that's yeah. really great. and it can be so diagnostic too. Like if people don't mm-hmm. understand that you, it's a different kind of work than if people get it. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Right. 
Jean, thank you so much um, for coming to the show. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. I re really appreciate your time. It's been so fun. Awesome. And I look forward to having you come back because I know that there's still so much more we didn't get to talk to. And also that psychopathy stuff is also really interesting. Thank you. Thanks so much. Awesome. All right. And to our audience, thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us next time.